Ratchet and Surviving with my man, Good Times, Tim Bontemps. The NBA second half got going last Thursday. How has the season treated you so far, friend? It's been a been a whirlwind, Clinton. There's been a lot going on. The inaugural in-season tournament, all sorts of crazy injuries across the Eastern Conference, new player participation policy rules, which getting teams fined and getting guys ineligible from being able to win awards. A lot of great play on the court. A lot happening. This is the time of year where the conversation around the MVP award, of course, takes off. It's the first year with the 65-game restriction for award consideration. That's been of some import to a lot of different players. Tim, you've got your straw poll version 2.0 out right now at ESPN.com. Any big trends we see emerging at the top? Well, the most obvious one, Clinton, is the one you just alluded to, which is that with the new 65-game player participation policy, Joel Embiid, the reigning MVP of the league, guy who was the clear front runner to win it for a second straight year, is now ineligible to win it. And because of that, as of right now, Nikola Jokic, who's been the guy who's gone back and forth in the past several years, is the clear front runner to win the award. But there are a bunch of guys behind him that I think have a real opportunity to pass him. And I think the fact that Nikola's already won a couple and would go into pretty rarefied air with a third one, I think is going to leave the door pretty open for several of these other guys to pass him if things break the right way over the next several weeks. The second half of the NBA season is when the debate around who is going to win the MVP really picks up steam. And this year comes with a special level of scrutiny because it's the first time that players need to participate in 65 games to be eligible for end-of-season awards. And that means the frontrunner for MVP, Joel Embiid, is out of the conversation. So today, ESPN NBA writer Tim Bontemps takes us through his MVP straw poll, version 2.0, to handicap the field, and then explains what to make of international players dominating the league in recent years, and what, if anything, the NBA should do about it. I'm Clinton Yates. It's Tuesday, February 27th. This is ESPN Daily. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue, and ready for the play. And boom, Añejo Tequila came in with the smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky. 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. All right, Tim, we've covered your MVP straw poll on this show before, but give us a little bit of an explainer of what it is for those who are not familiar. So, Clinton, really, the thought behind this, it goes back to our chair days at the Washington Post, actually, um, is to try to give people a real read on where the MVP race sits as of right now. I do it in usually mid to late December, right around Christmas. I used to do it right around Valentine's Day, going right, going, usually the Tuesday, Wednesday before the All-Star game. And then I do a third one the last week of March to see where the race is at with a couple weeks to go 
in the regular season. And I try to replicate at least as close as possible the 100 person voting pool that we see at the end of the regular season for awards. So I ask 100 people from across the country, try to get two people from every market, bunch of people who cover the entire league, bunch of people who cover the league from an international perspective. And, you know, at different points in the year, obviously, like any poll like this, the closer you get to the result, the more accurate it gets. So the one in December is usually pretty far off. The one in mid-February is pretty close to how it's going to be. And then the past several years in a row, the one at the end of March has ended up in at being accurate in terms of who's going to come away with the award. But it's become a pretty interesting thing. And, you know, certainly with as much attention that's paid to the award by teams, by players, by fans, by media, it's become, you know, one of the things that people associate with me and leads to plenty of conversations with all parties involved throughout the year as to where things sit and uh, where the race sits at, at various points. Let me paint a mental picture for the listeners. Bontemps in his apartment looking like somewhere between Steve Karnacki and that guy from It's Always Fun, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia <laughs> with data points and things going all over the place. No, but in all seriousness, in your first straw poll, Embiid led the pack with more than twice as many first place votes as Jokic, as you mentioned, who came in second. But as we discussed, Embiid's out of consideration. So what else has changed around the league since the 1.0 version of the straw poll? Well, the biggest thing really, Clinton, is that Che Gildas Alexander has emerged as a true superstar. Shea on the step back, nails another three. The Oklahoma City Thunder have emerged as a true championship caliber team. How about limiting Minnesota to 14 points in the fourth quarter? Turning the tables on what Minnesota did in the third. The crowd hitting the exits. Oklahoma City hitting the wind column yet again, splitting this road trip. And to me, he has become the clear alternative to Nicole Jokic in terms of who's going to win the MVP award this year. The fact that Shea Gibbs Alexander at 25 years old is leading a Thunder team that has a starting lineup of all guys 25 and under. And he, by the way, is the only one that's 25. And they have the best record in the Western Conference or our first or second at the moment. And have a real chance and are predicted by our models to have the best record in the Western Conference at season's end. I think if that happens, if the Thunder end up with the top record in the Western Conference, the way Shea is playing, my prediction is he will be the MVP of the league. Because again, we've seen repeatedly over the past decade or so, once guys get to two MVPs, it's a real barrier to get to a third one. Because there's eight guys, I believe, who've won three or more ever. They're all the innermost circle Hall of Fame guys. And, you know, Nikola Jokic is on his way to being an inner circle Hall of Fame guy, so he very well may win this one. He may win multiple uh, in the future. He may win several titles the way things are going, given he's in his late 20s and is at the peak of his powers. But I think there is going to be, I think, a subconscious look for people to find another alternative if there's anything close to a tie. Let's talk talk that for a second. You said subconscious, but you also spelled out pretty realistically why people don't get to three because they have impressions of what should and should not be part of the narrative. For a team like the Thunder, sort of a squad that, for lack of a better term, the casual NBA fan doesn't pay a ton of attention to outside of Shea. For a guy that young, 
if he wins it, how does that fall into the overall narrative in terms of guys who have done it in that way to this point in, in your time covering the NBA? I mean, I think the closest comp to that would probably be Derek Rose, right? Okay. Back in 2011. Yeah. And it's a little different. Derek was a little younger. I think he's still the youngest guy to ever win MVP. But again, it, at that point, for as good as Derek Rose was, he wasn't the best player in the league. The best player was LeBron, right? I actually think Dwight Howard should win MVP that year. He was unbelievable that year. But people didn't really like Dwight Howard all that much, for being honest. And people didn't want to vote for LeBron because it was his first year in Miami. So Derrick Rose was on a team that had the best record in the East, super young team, Tom Thibodeau's first year coach in the team, you know, Carlos Boozer, Joakim Noah, Luol Deng, like that team was on the ascendancy, looked like they were going to be able to challenge Miami going forward. And, you know, who knows what history looks like if Derrick doesn't hurt his knee the next year. But there's a lot of comparisons between Derrick Rose that year and Jay Gilles Alexander this year. And none of this is to say that, you know, media people don't want to vote for Nikola Jokic, there's some sort of bias. We saw the same thing with Giannis Tenenkupo a couple years ago. We saw for several years, LeBron James had an argument to be MVP every year. Yeah. But after he won four, there was like, well, you could maybe vote for him or maybe vote for somebody else. And this tends to be a thing that rotates around to other people. I mean, we go all the way back to the 90s when, you know, Michael Jordan lost to Karl Malone and lost to Charles Barkley and various other people when he easily could have or should have won every year. So this is not a new phenomenon, but... It's the way these things shake out. And, you know, if Denver, again, if Denver wins the West, I think Jokic wins in a walk. But if they finish fourth, the Thunder finish first. If the Mavs get up into the top five with the way Luka's playing, Luka Doncic, I think he's got a chance to get in the mix. To me, it's going to be one of those three guys. And I, if I was putting money on somebody, I'd put it on SGA. Shea's at number two. There's no question he's been deserving of serious consideration this year. But, Specifically for his career, he was involved in a trade that brought Paul George to the Clippers, who are getting a little heat for trading away somebody who we are talking about as a future MVP. But is that revisionist history at this point, Tim, for those of us who are paying a little too much attention to what I'll just call transaction Twitter? If you're going to say the Clippers shouldn't have traded for Paul George because they gave up Shea Gilgis-Alexander, I was as high on Shea Gilgis-Alexander as anybody on the planet, and I wasn't saying they shouldn't trade him for Paul George. Right. Especially because it really was trading for Paul George and Kawhi Leonard because Kawhi Leonard said, I want to play for the Clippers. I would like to play with Paul George. And so now you have two of the top 10 players in the league, both of whom play the single most valuable position in the NBA wing players that are two way wing players that can shoot, handle the ball, elite defensive players. Those are the prototypical players that championship teams are built around in the modern NBA in particular. Look, Yes, it'd be great if Shea Gilson Alexander was on the team with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard right now. The Clippers would probably be better off going forward if they had Shea Gilson Alexander instead of Paul George right now, just because he's, what, eight, nine, ten years younger. Yeah. But it doesn't exactly work that way. And in the end, Sam Presti did an unbelievable job of leveraging the situation he had in front of him and got everything he could out of the Clippers. And they are a legitimate title team this year who very well may win the title this year and if they get one as my buddy Brian Windhorst loves to say they never have to say they're sorry about anything and they'll have the banner hanging at the toilet bowl aka the Intuit Dome when Steve Ballmer gets in there and you know you'll be able to look at it and say the trade was worth it for those who are not familiar with the toilet bowl reference principal owner of the Clippers Steve Ballmer is constantly referencing the facilities at the new place. Toilets! 1160 toilets and urinals! 
very tied to the NBA, average number of toilets and urinals. We do not want people waiting in line. We want them to get back to their damn seats. But that's another matter that we can get to some point down the line when that place actually opens. All right, so let's break down this horse race. Beyond Jokic and SGA, how is the rest of the top five shaking out? You mentioned Luka a little bit, but where are we position-wise? Well, in the second straw poll, we had Giannis Tedekupo third, Luka Doncic fourth, Kawhi Leonard fifth, Jason Tatum sixth, uh, Jalen Brunson seventh, and Donovan Mitchell eighth. To me, as I said earlier, the only guy that really has a chance to win the award outright is Luka Doncic. I think if we get to a situation where, say, it's Oklahoma City third, Denver fourth, and Dallas fifth at the end of the regular season in the West, Luka's incredible individual season then, I think is going to look a lot different in comparison to those two guys if they're sort of bunched up in the standings. Hand off back to Luka, late in the shot clock, four seconds, got it from Kleba, again late in the clock, in desperation, Yaz Tedekupo has had one of the best seasons he's had of his career, but with all the drama that's gone on around the Bucks, the fact that, frankly, they've been a little disappointing compared mm-hmm. to what people expected them to be, I just don't think he's got the ability to get to the top unless they go on some truly crazy run, but I think they're too flawed to really do that. Kawhi, again, tremendous player, certainly good enough to win MVP, has played in a ton of games this year, looks awesome, back to maybe as good as he's been since... He won that title in Toronto. That being said, I do think his numbers across the board are a little lower than these other guys. I don't think he's going to quite be able to get there from an individual stat standpoint. And I think there's probably some lingering perception of him for not playing enough games, being injured a lot the last several years. It probably weighs his candidacy down a little bit. And the one other guy that's come up a lot is Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum is the very classic best player on the best team argument. Yeah. The Celtics are fantastic. They're the runaway best team in the league. They right now have one of the five or six best net ratings per 100 possessions of any team in the last 30 years. Um, right up there with the 73-win Warriors, some of these other teams that we've seen in recent memory. Tatum on the move. Oh, he set off the smoke detector. Who would think that he would have to hang on to protect himself? Look at the velocity that he had, and that's in traffic. But Tatum's stats across the board, again, just aren't quite of the same level as these other guys. And I think in a vacuum, he's just not quite seen on the same level from a talent perspective as those other guys. But to that point, you touched on this earlier. You said wing guys that play two ways are kind of what we see in MVP awards. However, the last five seasons, they've all gone the big man. And when you look at the current poll, we talk about SGA, Tatum, Luca, the ping pong community represented with Jalen Brunson. What do you think this is in terms of the window into the game writ large rather than just the award and the straw poll? Across the past several years, the three best players in the league have been Giannis Tedekupo, Nikola Jokic, Joel Embiid. Pretty consistently. And I think that's why they've generally been the three top guys in this poll. And I think if you just look at it in a vacuum right now and say to people who are the three best players in the league, they're still probably going to say those guys. That's why Joel Embiid, I think, was going to win another MVP this year if he hadn't gotten hurt because he was playing great. He had the narrative behind him with James Harden leaving and lifting up the Sixers, helping Tyrese Maxey become a star, Nick Nurse putting him in great positions to succeed, moving him around on the court a little bit, putting him in different spots than he'd been before. Yeah. All of that was leading to Joel having 
even a better season they did last year and doing some truly historic stuff from a scoring standpoint, becoming the first guy since Wilt to average more points than minutes played in a season, having the 70-point game, obviously against San Antonio last month, which was a remarkable thing to see. But I think when we're seeing some of these other guys, it is sort of the next generation of players, right? You, you kind of look at things in maybe five-year increments okay. player-wise from an age standpoint. That's why there's sort of the block of LeBron and KD and Steph. And then there was a bit of a talent drop off in the next block of guys, plus some injuries. So we never really saw the same thing grow up there. But then you had the Embiid, Jokic, Giannis group. That was sort of the next group for several years, really dominated the league. And now you look at Tatum, Luka, Shea, those guys are sort of in the next group where they're three or four years younger. And they're now sort of set up to potentially dominate the league for a while. So I, I think it's just sort of the natural cycle of things as we go. But you're seeing those three guys in particular all get into their mid-20s. I think they're all 25 or older now. That's when you start to really hit your prime. And I suspect that for the next four or five years, we're going to be talking about all three of those guys in the MVP race over and over and over again. And it'll be very interesting to see how it all shakes out. Coming up, the impact of international players dominating the top of the league and how that affects basketball development here in America. Shopping for Mother's Day is usually a challenge because you people wait until the last minute. But Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first one or for your fashionista mom who likes to make a statement, Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas that you can easily pick out something special to celebrate with them both. You can shop by price anywhere from 25 bucks and under to, say, 100 bucks and below. You can also sort by category like fragrance, handbags, and more. Or gift lists like for the mom who has everything. Or even pre-wrapped gifts for grandma. Find top brands like Studio Pro Model Beats Headphones, Polaroid cameras, and Samsung smart TVs. So, what are you waiting for? Mother's Day is May 12th, and it'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for mom easy this year. Head to Macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's Macy's.com slash gift finder. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11th ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code DAILY. That's code DAILY. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. When we had Brian Windhorst, Wendy, on to talk about the All-Star game, I said to him, I'm still waiting around for the USA versus the world game to get people interested in competing. And his immediate answer was, well, the U.S. would get crushed. That's not a good reason not to do it, but it leads to the look at what is going on overall. Four of the top six guys are international at the Straw Poll 1.0. The last five MVP awards have been handed to international players. How do you look at this in terms of the development of the league, of the player personnel, the labor force, 
and what it means for basketball fans, never mind the league alone. Over the past five years, as you said, the MVP of the league every year was an international player. Halfway through our fourth quarter. And Tennessee, oh my goodness! He's inhuman! As my dad told me, you know, always want more, but never be greedy. Uh, my goal is to win a championship, and we're going to do whatever it takes to make that happen. 13 left in the half. That's a deep one. Oh! Hello, Steph Curry. You watching? Is Steph Curry watching? Did Nikola Jokic just make that from the parking lot? I just want to thank you guys for all the support, not just this year, through all six years that I was here. But this trophy is not mine, it's all of these guys over here. Embiid all the way to the bucket for the punch. Oh, express yourself, Joel Embiid. I mean, we went through a lot, you know, all these years. The work is not done. We gonna need you guys, you know, all your support for the rest of, you know, this playoffs. We got a long way to go, so, you know, thank you guys. And, you know, keep supporting us and let's get it, let's get it started. The prior 72 or three years in the history of the league, there had been four international MVPs handed out. Two of them, one by Steve Nash, one by Akeem Olajuwon, one by Dirk Nowitzki. That's the list, right? So the fact that we've seen five in a row is obviously a massive sea change away from that. And the, the overwhelming likelihood is one of those top four guys, Jokic, Shea, Giannis, Luka, wins MVP this year, and that goes to six in a row. And as you said, Shea and Luka might be fighting for this for years. We could be looking at a eight, nine-year stretch of international MVPs every year. Now, it's interesting you bring up the overall development situation because we just saw Adam Silver, who has talked about this topic a lot, bring up the fact that there's some concerns on his end about the overall structure of youth basketball in the United States with relation to sort of how the youth development program is set up, where it's a lot of AAU games and tournaments, not as much, you know, you go look overseas, a lot of these elite teams, Real Madrid, you know, Luka Doncic went and played in Real Madrid's academy, I think when he was 13, Yeah, right? A lot of these international powerhouse EuroLeague teams have, it's like soccer, they have camps and academies that they get guys in at a young age and they sort of bring them up through their system. And we don't have that in the United States. It's a much different setup. Now, again, despite the fact that all this international talent is coming to the league, there's still an overwhelming talent pool that favors the United States. So clearly the best international team, still clearly the most talent overall. So you could look at this as a historic outlier where you happen to have several of the truly best players all be from foreign countries. But look, we have Victor Wembanyama now as a rookie. He certainly has the potential to become the face of the league when LeBron James steps away. And, you know, he again, obviously is a French citizen and an international player. So it will be interesting to see how this develops over time. And if the NBA does try to get in the business of changing some of the structures of how our use system is developed. But I think it's been noteworthy that as part of that same answer, Adam Silver essentially said the G League Ignite, which came in a few years ago in response to the, the lack of ability for guys coming out of high school to get paid, going to college. Um, he essentially said that program is going away. And Silver said they might try to focus even younger, you know, really trying to invest in the youth basketball community writ large. 
And I am very curious to see how that plays out over time. So yeah, this is a very nebulous, fascinating, complicated thing to try to figure out. And, you know, it is something that I've been personally studying for a while because this MVP thing in particular is very fascinating. And we've seen it at the absolute highest levels of the sport. We've seen these international players really be dominant over the past several years. And I personally am very curious to see what that looks like going forward. I want to dig deeper on this because I think there's two separate things here. Without me mentioning the rudderless ship that is USA basketball from a development standpoint. Right. The popularity thing, I think, does matter because there is an arrogance about American basketball fans that if the face of the league is not an American, there's a popularity quotient there that changes a little bit because this is the bed the NBA made. They wanted to be an international league. They have grown tremendously compared to other leagues in this country in terms of their footprint globally. The development of the game is one thing, but the popularity amongst sort of casuals, and people who have considered themselves lifetime basketball fans, I think the balance has shifted a little bit. What do you see when you think about that in terms of where people put their rooting interest overall for what the game is and the sport is right now? I think the NBA is still an immensely popular sport. I think Luka Doncic has a ton of fans and Nikola Jokic has a ton of fans and Joel Embiid has a ton of fans and Yasenikupo has a ton of fans and... I don't think that the sport is going to be irrevocably damaged if, say, Victor Wembanyama becomes the next LeBron James. Right. Right. And becomes the guy that's over sort of overlording the sport. And if 20 years from now, Victor Wembanyama is playing in his 19th All-Star game and has become this cultural icon, I don't necessarily think that's going to be seen as, oh, man, you know, the NBA has lost its way and it's going to lose popularity. No, look, if it's 10 years in a row with an international MVP, which it could be, then yeah, at some point, I think you have to start looking at the basketball system here and saying, is there something that we're missing that is preventing players from quite getting to that super elite level? Or like you said, is this just the natural evolution of, do you go from the sport being played here to, you know, you've got, say, three or 400 million Americans and you've got 5 billion people everywhere else. And, you know, if you just say, is the best player going to be from the smaller pool or the bigger pool? Might be just odds are it's going to be from the bigger pool. I don't know what the answer to that is, but I am curious to see what the league does about it because Adam Silver has said a lot of words about youth basketball and he's repeatedly brought up this point of having concerns about the AAU system and sort of the overall developmental pipeline in the United States. The NBA has put money into junior NBA, done these different things. But like, are they really gonna try to go to an academy system or do one of these other things? I don't know, but I'm curious to find out because it seems like something they are really honing in on. And they've spent a lot of money in Africa, spent a lot of money internationally to try to grow the game and grow talent pipelines and we've seen that bear fruit and it's been great for the sport and now are they going to potentially turn that back on the american system and potentially do the same thing here well as you said good times chances are that this isn't a trend that's going to change anytime soon and for all of you at home 
That sound you heard earlier in the program was a car horn because Tim Bontemps is a New York City resident. If you heard a sound in the background from me in Los Angeles, it was the sound of 1,160 toilets all flushing at the same time. <laughs> Thank you, Bontemps. Anytime, my guy. I'm Clinton Yates. This has been ESPN Daily. We'll talk to you tomorrow, kiddos. <laughs>